roundtable. What's up, everyone? Um, or maybe it's just Brian. I don't know. It might just be <laughs> us today. We'll see. We're not trying to be YouTube celebrities. Um, but yeah, I you guys, um, today is going to be awesome because um, at the roundtable, we're trying to fight isolation with just fun conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, during this time, we need to stay connected. Um, we need to stay encouraged. And so hopefully this is a ministry of encouragement to you. Um, just, uh, we've got Coach Dermody on here, Brian Dermody. He's on staff at Veritas Church. And we're gonna be hitting some topics today. We're gonna be talking about, um, we'll get at the end, we'll talk about healthy living. Brian's an expert in, <laughs> I don't know that. Well, maybe we'll, we'll figure that out. We're going to try to mine out all the knowledge that you have acquired over the years. Um, uh, we're going to talk about uh, the NFL, your, your career as a strength coach, and maybe um, I'm really curious about all that. Um, we're going to talk about just your story, which is amazing. But you guys, uh, Brian Dermody is a student of Jesus Christ. He is a lifelong learner. He loves to learn. And so my job is to just mine out some of the, the gems, some of the gold. And there's a lot there. Brian is a world of knowledge, um, is so well read, uh, takes meticulous notes in all his many books that he's read. But I'm, I'm going to try to mine that out. So Brian, um, before we get started, also, I have a quick uh, plug. I'm wearing my Salt Classic t-shirt from last year. So the Salt Classic's coming up again in September. Um, so I think the date is September 19th at one o'clock and you can register online. It's gonna be a huge fundraiser for our college ministry, the Salt Company. And also I'm drinking from uh, the mug that I just got from the team. I think it says that Jesus loves China. So um, anyway, so yeah, we'll remember to, uh, Pray for uh, our friends yeah. and over there. So, all right, we're going to jump right in. Brian, thanks for coming on. Um, yeah. I want to start with your story, man. You you have an incredible story. Ten years ago, what were you doing ten years ago right now? Ten years ago right now. Yeah. Um, well, we were starting the offseason for the Jets. I guess I was at, in New Jersey and uh, got there in February of – that year, 2010. And, uh, yeah, I was basically trying to figure out how to be a coach at that level. Cause it's a lot different than coaching at the college level. You know, I, most people don't know this, but I was adamantly opposed to working in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. I interviewed, I interviewed for the jets and I went into that interview, um, 100% sure that I was going to turn that job down if they offered it to me. And I did. And then I called them back <laughs> A couple days later, because I just felt God giving me this sick feeling in my stomach, like, listen, you just got fired from your last job. You've been praying to me to provide a job for you to make a living. I did. And you turned it down. <laughs> like, what more do you want? And just just felt a reassurance from God just saying, hey, it, it, you're going to be lonely. There's absolutely no community where you're going. Uh, the NFL is a foreign world compared to college, but I'll be with you through it all. And so... I called the Jets back and I said, hey, will you guys reconsider? And I come to find out that our general manager did the same exact thing with Bill Parcells. 
um, in his first job in the NFL, he turned it down and they called Bill Parcells back and said, Hey, will you reconsider? So nice. Understood. What is the, what is the world of a strength coach look like in the NFL? So you're like in charge of the kind of the workout routine of a hundred athletes or however many, or like what's, yeah. What, yeah. What do you, yeah. I th- one thing that people probably don't understand both. And I'd say this is true at the college and the NFL level is, those athletes um, do not have contact with anyone more than they do the head strength coach in their entire, you could say that of a college athlete throughout their four or five year career, more than their parents, more than their professors, their advisors. And you could say that in the NFL as well. And that's what, one of the things that kind of attracted me to the profession is you, you get so much time around these young men and women, because I did coach women in one of my jobs and they're so impressionable and you can have such an impact on them. So yeah, you're basically, you're kind of the CEO of wherever you're at when you're the strength coach, especially, especially in the off season, you know, in the thick of games and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly includes the physical development of the athletes. um, And that branches out into nutrition, not just what you do in the weight room and stuff like that. But one of the things that probably at least was way overlooked when the, when the field of strength and conditioning first started I mean, it's a fairly young field. It's only about 50 years old, 45, 50 years old, is not just training athletes physically, but training them mentally. You need to know how to train athletes, how to think and how to motivate them. And that's really what leadership is, right? So um, that's as as big a part of your job as the physical component, if not more. Because if you can't do that, nobody's going to follow through with the physical stuff. Yeah. What did, what did you learn about like the average NFL player? What? Hmm. I don't know if there is an average NFL player. I'll tell you this. People are intimidated um, to approach any, any athlete, any person of any fame, right. Or stature. And, you know, you talk about stars in the NFL and they certainly have fame and stature Uh, People are intimidated by them for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things I came to find out is um, they're normal people. And and they have, what I mean by that is um, really at the heart of it is they have the same need that every single human being needs. Um, I would talk to guys who would literally tell me, yeah, I would try to talk to them about Jesus and they would say, Right. I, I don't need Jesus. Why would you think I need Jesus? I have everything I could possibly want. You know, wow. I've got a wife and I've got two girlfriends and I've got a car for every day of the week and I've got three houses around the country. And I mean, guys would go, we would have a bye week during the season and they would go on a seven day cruise like across the world on our bye week. I'm like, what world are you guys living in? <laughs> I'm going to go home and just put my feet up and watch TV for a little bit on our bye week, you know? But just that, I mean, no matter how much power or stature or money people have, um, we all have the same deficiency, right? And that is righteousness. We cannot create a righteousness of our own. Mm. So you've seen people trying to find that in sports. Oh, yeah. I mean, identity and yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, and and it's, it's interesting because they're in the midst of it. And while they're in the midst of all of this fame, and all of this power and influence and money, even in the midst of it, they realize that it's not promising 
what it promises, or it's not delivering what it promises to deliver. You know, a lot of times you think, well, it, it might take them after retirement to realize that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm in the book of Ecclesiastes now with my football guys, and Solomon came to, to understand this, you know? And it's obvious that he came to understand it toward the end of his life, but I would guess he understood it in the midst of it as well, that as he's experiencing all of this abundance, it's not delivering on what I hoped it would. Mm-hmm. You know? So you saw a group of people that are incredibly wealthy, um, a culture that worships them, that wears their jerseys, and uh, it's not doing good things for their soul. It's not, yeah, it's not enough to satisfy. What? So you personally, what? Okay, so you're working in a pretty prestigious career, um, working with the Jets, and uh, you're staring at me on a screen in a church kids classroom. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, it's funny you mention that because my wife, Carrie, and I were working concessions in 2012 at a Hawkeye football game. And so we're dirty. You know, people are yelling at us because we're not getting their orders right way. We got these funky looking uniforms on. And she just turns to me and she's like, Brian, you were on the sideline of the NFL last year. And now you're in the concession stand of Kinnick Stadium. I'm like, Life is good, Carrie. Life is good, you know? <laughs> and seriously, life is good. There was complete contentment there. But I think the verse that I always tell people kind of describes the transition is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I became a Christian in 2007, and like a lot of things in my life, it, it was like I caught the bug. I mean, when God radically changed my life, I couldn't get my hands on enough literature, into enough Bible studies, listening to enough sermons, going to church often enough. I just couldn't get enough of it, you know? And so I guess you could say I was delighting myself in the Lord. It was just fun getting to know God, you know, in in any and every way that I could. And I got to this point, I'll remember this uh, so clearly, my first year at the Jets. Um, And I should say that I was very skeptical that I could make my job at the Jets, a good ministry. Hmm. Uh, You know, I was very skeptical going in, um, but over time it became a very good ministry. So anyway, it it was after one of these times that I pulled one of our athletes aside one-on-one to talk faith with them. Um, As a strength coach, you can kind of get guys one-on-one to do extra work, especially if they're vets. And so I found that was the best kind of platform to do it. If you tried to talk about Jesus in front of the whole team, you're going to get berated. If you take them one-on-one, they're a little bit more receptive. So that's what I would do after practice um, almost every day during the season. And I I took this guy aside and it was just exhilarating because he seemed to be pretty receptive to Jesus. Um, Had no signs of Jesus in his life previously, but seemed to be pretty receptive of it. And I got my office and I sat down and this thought entered my mind. My job as a strength coach is getting in the way of me helping people follow Jesus. Okay, now that may not seem like um, a very extreme statement, but you have to understand that for, well, since I got into the profession in 2000, I absolutely idolized my job, idolized it. I mean, if I wasn't going to be a head strength coach in the NFL or at a division one college someday, life was not worth living. Like success in life hung on that. And so for me to say that one thing that I, I idolized that much was not, it was just getting in the way. It was kind of a hindrance to me. Like 
that was a radical change in, in my perspective toward it. And that, so I started thinking, I said, God, what in the world are you doing to me? I think I still want to be a strength coach, but do you want me to do something else? And so that a little bit later that year, I, I just felt like God was saying, yeah, I, I got something else for you. So I packed up my entire apartment. Um, I cut off my lease and I told everybody that was close to me, I said, this, this next year is going to be my last year coaching, you know? And they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm still kind of waiting for God to reveal that. But it was funny because my, my now wife would come visit me and she came into my apartment and there was literally nothing on the walls. There was just cardboard boxes packed everywhere stuff for over a year. Cause I was like, it was kind of my, my version of burn the boats. You know, we kind of use that, that phrase. And, and interestingly, my best friend just called me yesterday and he said, Hey, the guy who, uh, invented that phrase, burn the boats, or the guy that we get it from Cortez. He wasn't the best guy, but he's like, if you go to first Kings 19, he goes, Elisha, he burned his plow to go follow God. And he's like, maybe we should appeal to that more than Cortez. And I was like, so last night at home, I'm reading the action story Bible with my kids. And I'm like, let's go to first Kings 19. And we read that story. Anyway, that was a little aside, but yeah, that's how it kind of came to the decision and although I still love coaching, I'm going to just take a step of faith and just see what you have for me, God, you know. Wow. So you were a strength coach for the Jets and you decide you feel God saying you're done with this. You pack up your stuff. And then when does the opportunity at Veritas come along? What's We had just started in 2010 so that spring of 2011 wasn't that the lockout season i mean it seems like i remember that that yeah yeah um yeah it would have been that year i mean interestingly enough yeah it was the lockout year but we were required to stay at a facility and work Mm. um i guess that was just to justify a paycheck at the time for our management but i did get a chance to to visit my now wife carrie who Carrie Clement at the time came to plant the church with you guys and got to meet. I mean, she lived with you at the time, right? She lived in your basement. And so I, I remember the first time I came and visit you and, and Jeff Thune were watching the world cup on the big screen TV downstairs. And I just, oh, yeah. there and I was watching the world cup with you guys and I started to get to know you guys. And, nice. and I, yeah, I think I emailed you and I just yeah, said, yeah, Mark, I think God might be, pushing me out of coaching, maybe calling me into some kind of vocational ministry. What do you think about that? And I think, well, your first response was no, it was don't leave. Don't leave. I remember standing on your patio, you were grilling out and you said, Brian, how many people just in the Jets organization, do you know, love Jesus? And I was like, well, one, two. And you were like, okay, stop right there it's not enough, right? It's a very dark place. You need to be a light in a dark place. So you told me to stay. And then over time, I mean, I guess I was pretty insistent on, yeah, I think I'm done coaching. And so you said, Hey, what about interning for self company? So I said, sure. Yeah. And then there's the giving up millions of dollars to come work as an intern and raise support on staff with with salt company i think i think by this time 
you know, over the course of the last 10 years, you, you had to have given up at least $3 million, if not way more than that. But yeah. uh, why, I mean, why? Why give all of that up Yeah, to pursue? I don't want to, I don't want to over romanticize this story. Um, money, by God's grace, money has never been a great appeal to me. So it's not like, you know, our head coach and general manager were dangling millions in front of my face. They were, but it's not like I was saying, oh gosh, look at the, I mean, just Brian, he's just dying to himself so much to leave all this money. I loved coaching, but mm -hmm. I didn't really care about the money or the yeah. fame or any. And again, that's totally God's grace. Because money can be such a, a stumbling block for a lot of us as believers, such a source of greed. So more so than... You go, but you do go from the AFC championship game yeah. Yeah. Uh, to concessions in yeah. a matter of a year. Um, so you are giving up the prestige. Like what? So you're saying it, it was worth it, Psalm 37.4, you just desired... Yeah, I think, well, yeah, I mean, so when he says, yeah, yeah, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. In a way, the more you delight yourself in the Lord, the more his desires just become your desires, right? So although I still, I still love coaching right now, and I loved it when I left, it wasn't like this huge clash of wills, like, okay, I want one thing, but God, I'm going to die to myself and do the thing you want. Mm -hmm. It was like, no, God was putting his desires in my heart. And wow. I just had to follow those desires. Yeah. Yeah. How did the conversation go with, so you got to go into talk to the GM, talk to the head coach, <laughs> yeah. who are those guys at the time? And what, yeah. how's that conversation go? Yeah. So um, I didn't plan on the meeting, but you have this meeting after every season anyway in most jobs where it's just kind of an employee evaluation right hey what went wrong this past year what went right how can we fix mm -hmm. the stuff we need to so he calls me in the general manager's name is mike tannenbaum i think he's a analyst for espn right now um and um to yeah so to preface this um so yeah we didn't make the playoffs the year before the AFC championship was my first year. And so he's like, Hey, obviously we didn't make the playoffs this year. He's like, but we believe you're part of the solution and you're not part of the problem, which that may not seem like a lot, but the NFL is truly a cutthroat business. It's the NFL. So when I'm meeting with the general manager, there's coaches, there's scouts, there's players that have already been fired or cut. Right. Cause they're part of the problem. Wow. We didn't get to the playoffs. Right. Yeah. So for him to say, you're not part of the problem. Okay. That's, that's good. That's a step. And then he goes on and he's like, hey, we just want to give you a big raise. So just a huge, huge bump in, in money. And, and Mike Tannenbaum was, he's a Jewish uh, gentleman. I, he doesn't practice um, his faith probably more than at a cultural level. But I thought, man, he probably knows something about God, you know. And so I said, well, Mike, I said, actually, I said, I'm not going to come back to the Jets next year. Um, I said, I'm actually going to get into full-time ministry. But like his eyes get huge. And he's like, so you're going to become a priest? And I said, well, not exactly. Um, and I just thought, what's the simplest way I can convey to this guy 
what's going on in my heart right now. And I just thought, parable of the hidden treasure. It's one verse, but it conveys this just unbelievable truth, right? As like, Mike, th there's nothing more valuable than the kingdom of heaven, right? And man, it's not just that I've found it, but I want to help other people find it. And I want to dedicate my life to that. And, and so I, I shared him the parable, the hidden treasure, and he just gave kind of this inquisitive look on his face. And he's like, well, you'll change your mind when you meet with Rex Ryan, you know? So I've, next day, met with Rex and Rex, th this is interesting. Rex is distraught when I come into the meeting because for whatever reason, Rex and I had a great relationship. Um, he's, he comes off as a pretty brash guy, maybe even a little obnoxious, but he's a, just a normal dude. Like you would love sitting at a fire pit, just talking with this guy, you know, over, over a beer one night in summer, you know, just a normal dude. Um, and he's like, like noticeably upset. He's like, Brian, he's like, what, what's this? I hear that you're not coming back to the jets next year. And I'm just thinking like, okay, if Mike Tannenbaum doesn't understand what I was saying, how much less Rex Ryan. So I'm like, I'm just going to put this as bluntly as I can. I said, Rex, there are millions of people across this, this planet who don't know and love Jesus Christ. And I said, Rex, if they die tomorrow, and he finishes my sentence and he goes, oh, they're going to hell. And I'm like, like, now I'm the confused one. I'm like, how in the world does he even know that much? You know? And he goes, oh yeah, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ someday. And I'm like, how do you know this stuff, Rex? You know? And meanwhile, Mike Tannenbaum is, he's sitting right next to us, literally feet away with his jaw kind of on the floor. And I was like, okay, if Rex knows that much, I better just make sure he knows the whole thing. So in my mind, I'm like, let's go from Romans one to Romans eight. And so we take just like a half an hour and I'm just walking through Romans one to Romans eight. Mike Tannenbaum is sitting there and kind of like, why in the world is Rex Ryan listening to this guy? Just get this meeting over with and let's get on with it. So I get done and kind of like, okay, what's Rex's response going to be, you know? And he goes, he's got tears coming down his eyes. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. You get something in his eye or what happened, you know? And he goes, he goes, Brian, he goes, if I ever would have known how great your faith was, I would have been down in your office every day last season asking for help. Uh, okay. Now there's a problem with that. Whoa. statement, though. Okay. If I ever would have known. Okay. I assumed, Hey, Rex Ryan, head coach, He's got too much on his plate. No way I could bother him with the things of God, right? And wow, I was wrong. I mean, that's an indictment against me. I mean, nobody should ever say to you that you work 60 hours a week with, if I ever would have known how great your faith was. Nobody should ever say that to you, wow. right? Wow. And I, I mean, by God's grace, I don't think I've made that mistake again where somebody would say that, you know? Um. And then Rex goes on and he goes, okay, he goes, tell me what you want to do. So I told him, he goes, okay, he goes, I got a solution. He goes, um, you're staying here. I'm going to give you a bigger raise than Mike said yesterday. He goes, um, I'll make you, you're going to be halftime head strength coach. Um, meanwhile, we had a head strength coach at the time. So he's in essence saying, I'm going to fire that guy. You'll be head strength coach and you'll be team chaplain. I'll pay for seminary. We'll give you off either Saturday night or Sunday morning so that you can go to church every week. Um, he's like, what else do you want? And I'm like, well, that kind of covers all the bases. So 
that, that's, that's quite a good offer. So I was like, man, Rex, I need some time to pray about this, you know, because now it's like, I'm convinced I need to leave the jets. He throws that offer on the table and it's like, gives me pause. Okay. Maybe I should stay here. Maybe God wants me to, to be here, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I, I saw him a couple of days after and he's like, I re- which by the way, real quick, I remember talking to you after that conversation. Yeah. And if my advice was stay before, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. don't come to Iowa City. Yeah. Yeah. And that was You're one of those determined. Things. Yeah. I, that was one of those times where you pray. And I kind of had the feeling God's probably not going to give me a black and white answer on this one. And he didn't. Yeah. Kind of like turn left and you can glorify me, turn right and you can glorify me. Wow. But what it did do is over the course of the next two weeks, I had about two weeks left to finish out my contract. I mean, I shared the gospel with about every person in the complex because they're all like, <laughs> you know, word, word travels fast. Rex offered you all this money and you're leaving. Why? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Mike Tannenbaum, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but Mike Tannenbaum, he said, I guarantee you a future in the NFL, you know, for the rest of your career. And, you know, why, why would you throw that stuff away? Well, <coughs> Yeah. That's so, you, the way. so you packed up, you came to Iowa city to be an intern and I had no idea how to lead you because oh, you're going from that world to this world. And yeah. Yeah. Talk to me about that transition. Well, I was pretty ignorant coming into ministry. I thought one, I thought all I would be doing was basically teaching Bible studies to athletes. And two, I thought, Oh, as soon as these guys know that I coach the NFL, they will listen to whatever I say. Well, that wasn't the case, right? I mean, you need to develop some relational bank with people, especially when talking about Christianity, right? Yeah. Um, And this, probably the hardest transition is the absolutely grace-filled atmosphere that we operate in, in full-time ministry, and the grace void atmosphere you live in with coaching mm. you know i was i was talking i was watching um uh, hard knocks so hbo does this show called hard knocks where they chronicle a team put it on mm-hmm. hbo they chronicle a team through training camp my wife and i finally found the year that the jets were on when i was there and she watched one episode of it and she goes she goes brian she goes, now I get why you struggled so much in ministry when you got here. Because there wasn't an ounce of grace. There wasn't an ounce of, I'm going to treat this person as a human being and take a genuine interest in them as a human being. And she saw that with her eyes. That was the hardest transition. Because although I knew the gospel, I mean, it, the gospel is more about receiving the grace of God than anything else. And the culture of the NFL, it, it just sucks that out of you. I mean, it just, if you're going to survive, you have to operate at least somewhat in a cutthroat manner. And so that was the hardest transition. Hmm. Wow. Brian, do you stay in touch with any of the guys, uh, whether coaches or players or, you know, is there any ongoing connection with anyone? Yeah, um, certainly some of the players, a, a few of the coaches, um, and 
ironically, I guess, maybe not ironically, most of the guys I keep in touch with are believers. I mean, I just had a, a just a tighter bond yeah. with those guys than with the non-believers there. So I do keep in touch with them. Um, and one of the guys is actually um, Anthony Lynn, who's the head coach of the, the Los Angeles uh, Chargers. I'm shocked I didn't say San Diego Chargers. Nice. Said it right. Yeah. Yeah. He's been on my wife and I support team. Um, he had a piece actually on ESPN not too long ago where he, um, I forgot what country. Do you remember, Mark, what country? Yeah, I don't remember. I... He, he funds, totally funds and builds schools in, in Africa for kind of probably similar to the situation in Zambia that you and mm-hmm. Jeff confront. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, Brian, talk to me about what you're working on now with your getting your doctorate in ministry and yeah what you're why are you doing I guess just the first question of why why pursue a doctorate in ministry yeah I mean the simple answer is because uh, God has shown me a gift of teaching and not necessarily from the pulpit although that is enjoyable and and hopefully by God's grace he improves me in that area but more classroom teaching probably more similar to what I did as a coach. And especially since we have VST here now, that's another platform to teach. We need more teachers, um, not just at Veritas, but in the network for that. But the whole thing was spurred uh, September of 2018. I think it was September 19th. You gave a sermon called Everybody Wants a Savior, Few Want a Lord, or something like that. And you had done this, you were doing this illustration of you, you were holding your hands up and you were saying, what we need to do is we need to kind of approach Jesus with our hands open, um, with a posture of, hey, I'm just going to yield my life to you. Everything is yours. And your point was sometimes we go to God with our arms extended, but our fists are clenched, right? We say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, but I don't want to give you this part of my life or this part of my life. And you asked the question, you said, what is that one thing that you're not willing to give up? You know, and it was one of those moments I was sitting in a seat in the Marriott where it felt like God's voice was audible. And God said, I felt like he was convicting me. You need to, you need to give up your free time. That's what you don't want to give up. You need to give that up and go back to school. Cause I've clearly given you a gift of teaching and you need, you need to use that. So preface that by me saying this, Shane Kelly, the director of Cornerstone School of Theology, had just emailed a bunch of us the week before and said, hey, are any of you interested in getting a doctorate? So that morning of that Sunday service that you preached, I specifically prayed. I said, God, show me if you want me to do this. Well, wow, he did. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what are, you, uh, what are you enjoying? What are you learning? Yeah. I think the greatest thing is it's a Hebrews 12 type teachability. More than uh, the specific subject matter that I'm studying in class, it's, it's a teachability that submits to God's discipline or teaching in your life. It, here's the reason why I say that. In one sense, um, the more exclusive or the higher you get up in any venture, um, the more exclusive it is, right? So you're less and less special, 
the further along you go in a given venture in one sense, right? So take football, for example. Mm-hmm. Well, in high school football, I was kind of bigger and stronger than everybody. So I was decent. College, I was a little less special, right? Mm-hmm. Because the talent pool was increased. If I were to make it to the NFL on my talent level, I would have been a practice squad player. I wouldn't have been anything special at all. Yeah. Well, apply that to school, right? I mean, this is doctoral level work and I'm not that special compared to everybody else. There's people that are much smarter than I am, including my professors that write much better than I am, that have a bigger knowledge base than I am. Point being is when you go into class, you get humbled really, really quickly. Hmm. And to be able to receive that criticism Hmm. and to have a teachable and posture, um, teachable posture of your heart and not to, go off kicking and screaming angry or upset because somebody criticized you that sounds awfully similar to hebrews 12 right where where god says listen when i provide these teachable moments in your life when i criticize you it's not going to be pleasant but i need you to submit to those okay you can't turn your back and go kicking and screaming at me every time i want to teach you something and so i Again, that doesn't have to do with a specific class I've taken, but just in general, mm-hmm. that's by far the biggest way God has changed me through school. So how do you, that's a different effect than what I see academ, academia yeah. doing to other people. I mean, you know, where Paul says, yeah. knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I do see, I see it in a, a college student that maybe takes you know, a systematic theology class or reads Grudem and all of a sudden they feel like they've got special (laughs) knowledge and you can see their head just kind of expand. Um, And, and uh, with this new knowledge about soteriology or ecclesiology or whatever they're studying at the time. And um, so it doesn't always have that effect. Sometimes it makes people proud, but for you, it's having the opposite effect. So learning can take people one of two ways what what do you think the key is in in the humility rather than the oh man well probably two things i mean one you know when when i first started even kind of approaching the idea of going back to school i visited midwestern baptist theological seminary which is where i'm getting my doctoral degree and everybody i talked to whether it was the president of, of the seminary or an advisor, they all said, our number one goal is not for you to amass head knowledge. Mm. If, if that's all that happens, we have failed. We want you to be a better father, a better husband, a better pastor. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like, yeah, right. That's what everybody's supposed to say. You probably have professors who are just intellectual elites that are going to look down on us. And Mark, I'm telling you, I was wrong. I mean, I was totally wrong. They care so much. They care more about you becoming a better father, husband, and pastor than they do about you amassing head knowledge. Um, I mean, I just had a a seminar last week. So a seminar is seven days in a row where we have class all day. We, We had a devotional every single day. We prayed specifically for every single person in the class every single day. Wow. And the, the, the teachers, they do what, what our students are getting from Jeff right now. They, they bring not just head knowledge to class, but they bring a pastoral care to class as well. And when you combine those two things, that provides for the best learning environment in a Christian context. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So Brian, talk to me about, and if, if there was anyone listening, uh, that's like wondering, well, what's the purpose of theology and like, wh- why, and, and I guess in this question, I'm asking about the Veritas School of Theology and kind of a, I'm just asking you to give a plug for that. Like what, give a defense of it. Like why, why we do it and yeah. why, what the value is to a believer. Yeah. It, it's going to take every bit of restraint in me to not say that VST should be prescriptive for every person. <laughs> because I, I mean, you know, I, I think people close to me know that two things I highly, highly value learning and teaching. Okay. Love them. Um, they're probably the things that fill me with life the most. But if, if you, if you start to look at particularly the new Testament and it's certainly the case in the old, um, the ability to teach it's all over the new Testament. It's on nearly, it's in every single book. It's on nearly every single page of the new Testament. And Jesus, I mean, in his parting command to first his 12 disciples, but that, that commission continues to all of his disciples at the core of our mission is the ability to teach people. Right. Mm. I mean, in Matthew 28, right. You call it the great omission at times because we certainly evangelize and we baptize but then he finishes by saying well teach them to observe all that i've commanded you mm-hmm. well that's pretty expansive mm-hmm. okay and so um I, I don't say this um in an insensitive way and i don't say it lightly but there's probably a lot of people in the big c church today that are not equipped to teach people all that jesus has commanded them so I think it's, I mean, if, if you're going to take seriously the commission of Jesus Christ, I think it's your duty as a Christian not to take VST, although that's valuable, but it is your duty to get equipped to be able to both promote Christ and to defend the faith. Mm. Yeah, to, to be Bible literate. Right. I mean, to, yeah. to know what the Bible says, to be yeah. able to articulate it. Uh, share it, defend it when needed. So, so you see uh, the Veritas School of Theology, Jeff Dodge leads that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I don't know, I think around 35 to 40 students and, yeah. and some coming down from, um, from Cedar Rapids and Cedar Falls area, um, but a lot of students from Veritas. Um, community people, I think there's some community people taking it. It's not just... Uh, not just staff and vocational ministry people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, part of the reason for um, changing the avenue through which it was delivered and, and really the delivery of it is to make it more accessible. I mean, it used to be a flow bo- uh, full-blown 45-credit master's degree. Mm. Um, one, that takes a lot of time, but two, that's pretty expensive as well. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's accessible, not just in terms of the time. It it only lasts one year and you have significant breaks in time during that one year. Um, But two, two, it's much, much cheaper. I mean, compared to a seminar, you're saving thousands. And then three, um, it's it's the seven core classes. It's not all all 15. So it's Old Testament one and two, New Testament one and two, systematic theology one and two, and then hermeneutics. Cool. So Brian, let me, someone on Facebook asked this question and I, this is a great question because I, this is kind of my pushback as well. I, okay. <laughs> let me just, uh, 
uh, asked the question, it says, does someone need education to be qualified to teach? And let me just add to that, like in Acts, um, Acts 4.13, it says, when they saw the courage of, it says right after Acts 4.12 and 13, you know, there's, there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Mm -hmm. And it says, when, the, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, yeah. they were astonished and took note. These men had been with Jesus. Sure. And so I really, I resonate with this question, does someone need education to be qualified to teach? I mean, I personally have never taken VST. Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of in a, in a very uh, basic form uh, with Jeff back in the late nineties um, yeah. as a college yeah. student, but I guess I just hear that question. Yeah. Well, there's a, I mean, one, there's a lot of different contexts of teaching in the new Testament, right? I mean, you have everything from uh, the most informal, right. Kind of one-on-one -on -one discipleship all the way up to officially recognized teaching positions in the church. You would call that pastor elder, right? And I would say, well, if you're going to be a pastor elder, I mean, there's a good argument there for the need for some kind of education. That doesn't mean formal education in a seminary. Yeah. But I mean, it is a requirement of that office. Um, if you go all the way down to the most informal type of teaching, do you need education? Yeah, but I wouldn't say formal. I wouldn't say you have to go to seminary, right? I mean, the, look at this, for example. The biblical literacy of the women in our church has skyrocketed since Rebecca Johnson has come onto the scene, right? Well, they're getting educated in women's Bible study, right? I mean, that's not going off to seminary. I think, I mean, how else are you going to become biblically literate enough so that you can teach all that I've commanded you, right? Well, even just, even reading your Bible daily. Yeah, yeah. that's education for sure. Right, right. So I think, yeah, behind that, that question, maybe the idea is formal education, like seminary. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I would have to answer that question. No, you don't have to. Uh, I haven't, you know, but I, I think that it is. Yeah. But you have to be conversant in um, the issues. I'm just um, preaching on first John four this week. Yeah. And he's saying, don't believe everything you hear there's false prophets, there's yeah. false teachers. And yeah, I think uh, God is, this week as I study the text, he's just reigniting a passion for sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. That we have got to hold on to sound doctrine because there are winds of teaching that is, that is throwing people into confusion um, that I think is, is dangerous and unhelpful. Um, let me, let me ask you what your, with all of the winds of teaching that are blowing right now, Yeah. whether it's related to coronavirus or Black Lives Matter, the pursuit of racial reconciliation. Um, I mean, there are many, a host of other things that, that we are working through pastorally. Yeah. What's your... What are you feeling right now? The need to, like, if you could just speak pastorally to our church, like what is your heart for God's people right now as they work through all these controversial topics and questions? Yeah. 
Well, I, I think even as Christians, it seems like recently we've probably had a tendency to see um, those conflicts that you just brought up as um, problems to avoid um, rather than teachable moments to grasp. You have to, it, it, I think it's more important that at any time in our country's history that right now as a Christian, you have to view every single interaction with somebody that has an opposing view as a discipleship opportunity. Mm -hmm. You have to. Um, because otherwise, we're not going to contribute. Well, first of all, we're going to probably do a lot to destroy the witness of the church. You know, I mean, Peter certainly talks about this in Acts. And this is a time to unite. It's not a time to divide. You know, um, one of the books, it's, it's so interesting that um, what's going on right now um, in our country, because I know you were going to ask me possibly about some of the books I'm reading. This is one of the ones that I've been absolutely enthralled with recently. Um, the coddling of the American mind. So I'm just going to give you a tiny little snippet, but you're going to be shocked. I think how pertinent it is to what's going on in our country right now. And let me just say this. Um, some Christians don't think it's okay to read secular stuff. It's okay. <laughs> we can learn stuff from secular people. In fact, one of the reasons why I'm reading this book is because I want to know how the other side is thinking. If I can know how the other side is thinking, then I can better disciple them. So how about this, Mark? This entire book is, is based around um, dispelling the myth of three great untruths. Okay. These guys identify three great untruths mm. that sort of predominate in American society. So here's one of them. The untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Okay, so we're raising a generation right now who, in large part, avoids discomfort at all costs, right? Because what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Okay, yeah. second one, the untruth of emotional reasoning, always trust your feelings. Okay, sounds a little contrary to the word of God. Yeah. And how about this one? The untruth of us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and evil people. And it doesn't matter if it's racial injustice or if it's masks or what it is, but we have created us versus them over every single issue in our country. Wow. Now, by reading a book like this, I can get into the mind of how the other side is thinking. Why do they go to those three untruths? And that helps me better disciple them. Um, so I would say the other, the other part of that discipleship um, equation is you, you've got to put yourself in a position to learn what the other side is going through. You have to, right? I mean, with racial injustice going on in our country right now, I mean, I've been trying to reach out to every African-American person I know that will listen to me, or sorry, that will talk to me and let me listen to them. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, just, totally. we just got to find out whether, what, whether, what have you learned as you've interacted with them? Um, wow. How much time do we have? <laughs> well, um, I suppose the number one thing that I've learned is that, um, the solution to this is not any sweeping change that I'm going to make individually, but maybe part of the 
one of the biggest parts of the solution to this um, is just listening to somebody else. People want to be listened to, you know? Um, and so, I mean, just doing that alone has helped so much. I mean, because I go into these conversations, everybody does, I think, with a preconceived notion about how somebody has lived their life. And I'll be honest, I had to go into conversation with a black man last week where this black man was well-read, well-spoken, had a good job, wife and kids, like had his life together. And I, so I went into that conversation and I'm thinking like, there's no way that he's been experienced. He's been experiencing some of these racial injustices that a lot of other people have. And he goes, oh no. He goes, just because I'm well-dressed and I'm well-read and all of that, he goes, I've been thrown up against a wall by cops for no reason. I've been pulled over for no reason. And so it's revealed a prejudice in me as well that I need to repent of and bring to God, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm tempted here to open that whole can of worms because I think that I have been trying to listen over the last couple of weeks. And sometimes I guess my question is, what do you do when after you've listened, you do come to an impasse where it's like, man, I feel like you're believing some things that um, are not necessarily biblical ideas that may be toxic, divisive. Um, you know what I mean? Just things that, that, yeah, teachings. I, I think that's, that's when it gets hard is when the listening comes to an end and you're like, yeah, I, I need to hear that. And I think, um, we do just in light of first John four, where, where John clearly says like, there are teachings that that come from false teachers that need to be corrected and it's like it's like where paul tells timothy hey teach rebuke correct Mm -hmm. with great patience and careful instruction you know and so how do you navigate that when you find you you listen and then this would be if you're talking to a fellow believer yeah that maybe is kind of caught in the wind of a right. cultural teaching. Well, it all hinges on whether or not they're teachable or not. Mm. Right. Because you, you said you, I've come to an impasse. Well, you're only at an impasse if they're unteachable because the adjectives that you use to describe their, their belief system that, that seems to be full of false teaching. Well, you could use those adjectives to describe any sin that I need to disciple somebody through. Mm. Oh, they're divisive. Oh, well, you know what else is divisive? That, that guy's selfishness, right? That guy in my football Bible study who's selfish, that's divisive too, you know? (laughs) I mean, in a, in a way, I mean, if they're teachable, it's all just discipleship, right? It's so if they're teachable, you're not at an impasse. If, I mean, if they're not teachable, I don't have a good answer, unfortunately. Hmm. Wow. But I don't, I don't, I don't think we need to approach um, the sins that are coming to the surface through COVID, through the racial injustices that are happening in our country. In a way, I don't think we have to approach them differently than we would other sins that we need to disciple people through. Wow. Yeah. I mean, right. Yep. Wow. It's good. Good word. 
I want to transition now. Just, just a question about um, personal health and trying to navigate the coronavirus. Um, it, it seems to have exposed a health crisis in America. When yeah. you look at statistically, I mean, who is dying of this? Yeah. Um, I talked to an ER doctor and he said, yeah, the kind of the things we all know, the obesity, diabetes, mm -hmm. heart respiratory issues, um, those are the ones that, that seem to be most vulnerable to this. So I guess my question to you as someone who's understands the human body and, and physiology and, and health nutrition is the question, is there anything I can do mm -hmm. to strengthen my immune system and just yeah. like protect myself? Not, and now we're not talking mass, no mass. We're going to avoid right. that landmine, right. but <laughs> yeah. I'm talking just personally in terms of, of yeah, habits, yeah. healthy living things that I could do. Yeah. It's funny you bring this up. I, I saw an advertisement the other day that I forgot what the organization was, but if you were willing to go and get a COVID test, they would give you coupons for free McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I think there's something wrong with that. We're going to give you coupons for the very thing that's causing what you're trying to avoid. Okay. Yeah. But you're, you're right. So what... So let's get some, some data out there for people. So about 88% of Americans have some type of metabolic dysfunction. Okay, what do we mean by metabolic dysfunction? Obesity, high blood pressure, cholesterol, um, high cholesterol, type two diabetes. Okay, it's important to know that every single one of those is completely and totally preventable. Okay, those are preventable. That, that sounds like a controversial statement you just made. Well, it probably is, but like you said, um, so far the one thing that our country has not addressed is the healthcare crisis that we're in, in terms of what, what's our solution in general in America when things break in the human body? We'll do surgery or give them a drug, right? Wow. That, that's, Ameri that's shortcut America, right? That's what we do. We're not into preventive measures a whole lot, um, which would include diet, exercise, things like that. We can get into that. But those are, those are completely preventable. And in general, what those are caused by is basically just shoving too many carbohydrates into our body, mainly sugar, right? Um, you, you become, if you, if you keep throwing sugar on top of sugar on top of sugar into your body, um, what happens is your, your body cannot metabolize that sugar at a quick enough rate. And so the hormone that's supposed to regulate that insulin, it just, your body just keeps on making more, making more, making more, making more until eventually you, you get to the point where you're insulin resistant. You've in essence become desensitized to it. So you're resistant to it. That's, that's reversible though. And, and studies have even shown that in as little as nine days of changing your diet and exercise, you can start to reverse um, a lot of the effects of those metabolic dysfun dysfunctions. So I would say if you're going to eliminate something from your diet, start with sugar, um, mm -hmm. obesity and insulin resistance. I would say, and, and these are going to be probably out there a little bit. I would say eliminate as much corn from your body as you can. Okay. We use, we use three things in America to make most of our food. We use wheat, soy, and corn because they're cheap. And we're focused on mass production and profit. 
um, those three things are actually really unhealthy for you. Um, there's, for example, in corn, there's a lot of excess linoleic acid, which can cause obesity and insulin resistance. Um, you know, soy, it's very hard to digest. It's an incomplete protein. If that's your main source of protein as a male, you can start increasing your levels of estrogen and things like this, which is unhealthy. Um, wheat, I think we all know the sensitivity to wheat in our country that has been brought about. So anyway, most of, most, well, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the products you, you consume are made from corn, okay? So beef, for example, I would say eat grass-fed beef um, because grass-fed beef actually um, contains every single nutrient the human body needs um, outside of two. And that would be vitamin C and, and uh, water. You can get water from water and you can get vitamin C from eggs or a fatty fish or something like that. So eliminate corn, wheat, soy, if you can eliminate sugar. And the other thing is vegetable oils, vegetable oils, like canola oil, corn, soybean, safflower, palm, um, sunflower oil. Those will just shoot your uh, cholesterol, obesity out of whack. You know, so if you're going to eliminate something, eliminate those three things. So what oils do you use? Olive, coconut? Yeah, I mean, extra virgin olive oil. So here's, and here's the, the catch 22 in our country. We, we tend to say things in absolute terms. So we tend to say fat is bad. Okay. Well, there's a problem with that because vegetable oils are actually, yeah, horrible for you. But if you eat saturated fat from say grass fed sources, organic sources, or you eat unsaturated fat, from extra virgin olive oil, walnuts, avocados, fatty fish, things like that. Those can actually increase your good cholesterol, decrease your bad cholesterol, decrease your blood pressure, improve your heart health, um, improve your immune system, right? So we can't just say unequivocally fat is bad for you. If you're going to say add a couple things, I mean, the number one thing I would say, you talked about vitamin D, vitamin D. I would say get out in the sun. We need... The solution isn't to continue to eat McDonald's and then take a vitamin D supplement. That's not going to do any good to us. Mm. Um, we need to stop the bad, but then also increase the good. And yeah, some of the studies out there have shown roughly anywhere from the mid, um, the mid to the high 80s, even the low 90s of people who have had very severe symptoms of COVID have been deficient in vitamin D. Mm. Now, that's kind of, well, what came first, the chicken or the egg? I mean, yeah, you, you understand. I mean, they're unhealthy to start with. So them taking vitamin D and getting their vitamin D levels up would do no good. Right. Uh, right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in general, the people that eat a healthier diet, right. And don't shove the sugar and the corn and the vegetable oils into the body. Well, they're going to have higher levels of vitamin D, vitamin C, some of those antioxidants that help our immune system. Um, I talked about fats, you know, vit so vitamin D fats, and then lean protein, lean protein is really, really hard for your body to maintain. And that's why it's good. It's metabolically expensive for you. It costs your body calories to store protein. Fat is easy. You have to understand that your, your body, your body is basically in constant survival mode. So what your body is, is telling itself is okay, if I were to go into starvation mode, let's say I didn't have access to food for days or weeks, 
well, how am I going to survive? Well, I'm going to store something inside of me. So I have reserves. Well, what's easiest and most beneficial for me to restore fat costs me nearly nothing to store in my body. Plus it provides double the calories of carbohydrates or protein. So I'm going to store fat. That's where our body is really good at storing fat. Um, but protein on the other hand, um, one in general, a food that is rich in lean protein is going to be much more nutrient dense than a food that is rich in simple or complex carbohydrates, all else equal. So I would say vitamin D. Give me an example of a food. Give me an example of something like that. Nutrient dense. Um, well, like I said, I mean, grass-fed beef is going to be the most, grass-fed red meat is going to be the most nutrient dense thing you could put in your body. And that's another thing, where, that's another area where you can't call out absolutes because if you're going to put a bunch of kind of corn-fed slop you know, that pink slime stuff, like in your body, you're going to get the opposite result you want. So don't say, don't say meat's bad. I will be the first to say, oh yeah, corn fed, you know, beef is horrible for you. Don't put it in your body. You're going to get heart disease, whatever. But grass fed beef, on the other hand, is just the opposite. It's going to reduce your chance of heart disease. You know, um, eggs are cheap and very nutrient dense. Got to eat the yolk if you're going to eat those because that's where most of the nutrients are. The yolk is high in vitamin D. Um, so yeah, take corn, vegetable oil, sugar out. Vitamin D you can get from sun, fatty fish, egg yolks. Yep. Um, yep. So give me a, give me a, a, so this, how should Christians think about this? I mean, this could sound like, you know, uh, just your, your typical health, yeah. Self-improvement podcast. Yeah. What's the, what's the theological foundation for why a Christian should care about what you're talking about? Well, I mean, one, God does give you one body, right? And I mean, I think he's very clear in scripture that we're supposed to be good stewards of our body. Right. Um, and so, I mean, there, there's that part of it, right? Because if you look at what makes people unhealthy, it's typically a situation where they've become a slave to something else. Mm. And we're never supposed to allow our bodies or our minds or our hearts to get into a situation where we're slave to something else besides God, mm. right? I mean, if you're a, I mean, sugar is addictive. That's why it's in everything. I mean, food companies know that. Right. So there, there's that part of it. Right. Yep. Yep. There's, I mean, exercising dominion over your body. Right. But also um, you want to talk about being an absolute um, drain on the resources of our country. Um, it's it's the person who is obese with high blood pressure, heart problems and type two diabetes. I mean, you know, and I don't want to degrade that person as an individual. If you're if you. Yeah. So if you're someone when, uh, you know, watching this, that, that is struggling with this, what's your encouragement to them? What's, what's some hope you can give them is. Yeah. Um, well, because I know you have a passion to help people. Yeah. Yeah. If I could only have two careers at one time, that would be one. What's that? You would do this as a career if you weren't. Well, yeah, we, we've played that game on, on several of our road trips. Like what's a dream job? One of my dream jobs is I would love to start a, a faith-based organization to help obese people. 
Mm. Because obesity affects you not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and psychologically at such deep levels. You know, so I've got a heart for for people that are experiencing that. Just because I'm somewhat fit and I try to be healthy, it doesn't mean that we should look down on those people like, oh, just if you just had a little more discipline, geez, mm. you, you disgust me. You can't you just have more discipline? No. I mean, there's a, there's a lot more to it than that, yeah. right? These, well, the good news is these are totally reversible, right? Um, and so um, I guess the hard part of it is it is the discipline part of it, mm. right? Doing the thing that we don't want to do so that we can get the result that we want. It's mm. very hard for people to do. Um, and it is education. We don't educate our people very well in this country either, you know? Um, mm. This is, I, I wonder what's a, you know, uh, one of the books that I read this year was Atomic Habits, you yeah. know, and I think there were some super helpful, mm-hmm. just like taking a baby step on right. a baby step that is something that you do that, that is a simple, okay, I'm no longer going to, you know, eat that bag of chips at yeah. 11 o'clock at night, you know, yeah. and just one little step and every yeah. kind of, as you add these little micro changes. Yeah. One of the results over time. Right. One of the ones I tell people if they're in that state is ditch the calorie containing drinks. Okay. Those are what we call hidden calories. If we eat a big hamburger and fries, uh, it, I mean, it feels like a rock in our gut. So (laughs) we know we ate some calories, but if we drink a Coke, you don't realize the damage that that's doing to your body. There's a lot of hidden calories and basically these liquid candy bars that we get from Starbucks. <laughs> wow. You know, I mean, there, there can be three, four, 500 calories, even more in some of those drinks. So I would say, I mean, don't even to start off, if, if you're looking for a baby step, don't even change what you eat. Just don't drink anything that contains calories. Just drink water. Wow. All right. Okay. Ditch the soda, ditch the, I don't even know what they're called. I can't pronounce them all from Starbucks, but <laughs> yep. ditch all those. Is uh, I got a question from someone. Is peanut oil bad? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it kind of falls into the same category as those other ones. And really, it, it, I mean, I don't want to get too complicated, but it has to do with the type of unsaturated fat that is in there. Um, we're, we're in general, we're kind of gorged with what's called omega nines in our country, omega nine fatty acids, mm-hmm. like that linoleic acid that I talked about. And those aren't good for heart um, or brain health. Omega threes and sixes you'll find in like say coconut oil or extra virgin olive oil or something like that. Those are really good for heart mm-hmm. and brain. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, there's some I've got some action steps, home, but I've been taking some notes here and uh, learning how to physical training is of some value. It is godliness holds value for not only this present life, but the life to come. And, and the, the word that Paul uses for train yourselves is gymnasio. Yeah. Which, uh, which Brian, you've been taking Greek and you love Greek. What's, love what's up with that? Well, man? What? Yeah, I, I didn't expect that because 
if when you take Greek, it feels like you're in the middle of the ocean with no life support whatsoever. No, no, no life jacket, no inner tube, nothing. And you're just trying to keep your head above water. But if you just stick with it, I, and I can't, I've told you this before, Mark, I, I can't even probably accurately put into words why, but there is something special about being able to read and interpret and learn from the original language that the word of God was written in, you know? Wow. So if, let me give you one example for, yeah. for listening. So I love every once in a while I go through, uh, there's this verse in second um, Timothy and it's the only time in the entire new Testament that the phrase man of God is used. Mm. And I, so I thought, man, if, if there's one time in the new Testament, that phrase is used, I'm going to go through it with my guys. And, and Paul says to Timothy, he says, but you, Timothy, he says, but you, O man of God, he says, flee these things. And he's, there's a list of sins that he wants him to flee. But the word that he uses for flee is fugo. It's where we get the word fugitive. Okay. So that verse meant nothing to our guys when I just read it in the English version. But when I said, guys, have you seen the movie, The Fugitive? I said, do you see how much veracity and intensity wow. that guy used to get away from the yes, because, let's go with that. Right. And I was like, guys, is that the way that you try to get away from sin? As if somebody is trying to kill you and kill you and you're an innocent man. Like that's a whole new meaning to it. Right. Mm. I, I was talking to um, one of my mentors, Ed Noble. He mm. would always, I was a high school kid and I was sitting next to him in a sermon. I looked down, he was taking notes in Greek and I was like, what? why he's like well it's kind of the difference between watching something in black and white and color yeah. i don't know if you've felt that but man even as you say that example of fugitive and yeah. understanding um that word and and that context helping you understand yeah it, it changes your perspective it comes to life for sure um, well, Brian, we could go on and on, and and this is a great reason to get you on again. But um, yeah. man, this has been a blast, and you are a treasure to Thanks. our church, and we are so blessed that you left money, fame, yeah. and you came on here to, you know. Uh, make just just a a fraction of what of what you could have but but for you it's uh finding the treasure and i'm like i'm watching you like in real time your joy expand as you continue to see the value of the treasure that you found in christ oh, yeah. it is so much fun to watch you uh just grow in your love for jesus and people and we're so blessed to have you um and you you're a wealth of, of knowledge. So Brian, we're going to do it again. And yeah, thanks for sharing. And thank you. So, Hey man, you want to pray us out of here? I would love to. Awesome. I would love to. Yeah. Heavenly father. Um, the first thing I can think about just after the last hour is the waterfall of grace that, that I'm under. And I know that's true of so many in our church. So many in our church can talk of all of these really cool things that you've done in our lives, 
And we don't muster those things up from our own righteousness or our own strength. They come sprouting out of the grace that you just drench us with God. So we thank you that. And we, we ask God for more of it. We want more of your grace at Veritas. We want more stories of you just radically transforming people and calling them to um, faithful and loyal obedience to your mission that you've given us, God. So give us more of that grace. Um, and I pray, Lord, that I, we've talked about teaching and learning a lot today. I, I pray that the people of Veritas would have a zeal to learn about you, God. Yeah. Uh, just an insatiable hunger to, to, to never stop, but also to turn around and to have an insatiable hunger to teach that to other people, Lord. Would people take very seriously this, this duty of, of Christians um, to equip ourselves in whatever way that might be, formal or informal, to both promote Christ and to defend this faith with grace and with truth, God? Mm-hmm. Um, and I ask for um, your blessing on this church and your wisdom and your vision for this church as we seek to Um, be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, uh, both amidst a pandemic um, and amidst um, just the scene of our country right now. It's the racial injustices, but it's so much more. There's so much conflict in our country. Could we be um, a force for unity in the name of Jesus Christ um, for our church, the cities around us, and the country beyond, Lord? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, everyone, thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time. Have a great week. See you, coach. Yeah.